Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Digital Audio Health by... Cymatrax. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show. Sometimes the universe has a way of placing people or obstacles in your path to help guide and direct you on your mission. Listen in as we discover the path my guest has traveled. Has he been inspired by a calling, crafted his journey, or a bit of both? I invite you to embrace the conversations and to use them to help recognize if this is happening in your life. Our guest today is Gary Lockman, who is the historian of esotericism and has been recording his own precognitive dreams for 40 years. Dreams, that is, in which he has caught a glimpse of the future. In a unique and intriguing new book, Lachman recounts discovery that he dreams ahead of time and argues convincingly that this extraordinary ability is in fact shared by all of us. Dreaming ahead of time is a personal exploration of precognition, synchronicity, and coincidence drawing on the work of thinkers including J.W. Dunn, J.B. Priestley, Arthur Kostler, Colin Wilson, P.D. Uspensky, and C.G. Young, as well as the latest scientific and statistical evidence for precognition and other paranormal abilities. Lockman's description and analysis of his own experience conveys the uncanny power of our dreaming minds and reveals the illusion of our careful distinction between past, present, and future. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Gary, and congratulations on the new release of your book, Dreaming Ahead of Time. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for inviting me on again, Rhonda. Thank you. Oh, I'm so pleased that you've joined us. And I guess in the UK, it's uh, about after eight o'clock at night, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but it's um, heading into summertime. So it's um, it's that wonderful time which stays light out quite late. Um, oh. Yeah, it's still it's still light out now. So it should be for another, I don't know, half hour or so. Oh, nice. My first question is, can we see the future in our dreams? Well, funnily enough, um, yes, we can. Uh, I sh- well, I can, <laughs> and I don't. I don't consider myself um, particularly special in this. Um, and the reason I discovered that I uh, dream the future um, mm-hmm. rather than I can, rather than I, it's not something I decide to do. It's something I have noticed has happened, mm-hmm. and um, that started quite some time ago. Uh, that started about 1980, so it's uh, quite, quite some years ago now, uh, when I was living in New York, and I was a musician then, 
And I was very interested uh, at the time and still am, but this was my, cutting my teeth on it, um, mm-hmm. on uh, the paranormal and the esoteric and the magical and all that sort of thing. So I was reading quite a lot about it then. And um, I read a book called An Experiment with Time by a fellow mm-hmm. named J.W. Dunn, mm-hmm. who was not an occultist and not a mystic. He was an aeronautics engineer, but he discovered quite by accident, that bits of the future were turning up in his dreams. Okay. And um, there's different ones that he tells the stories of. I mean, the one that got him going was that uh, he he, he dreamt that he was having an argument with someone about the time, strangely Mm -hmm. enough, uh, talking about (laughs) cognitive dreams. So the first one is an argument about time. And in the dream, some, uh, he was saying that it was 4.30 in the morning. And um, the person he was arguing was saying, no, 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 it's not. And he said, I'll, I'll prove it to you. And I'll, uh, he, so he took out his pocket watch in, mm-hmm. in this back in the day of pocket watches. Um, and um, in the dream showed someone and in indeed it was 4.30. And then Dunn woke up at that point. Mm-hmm. And he thought, oh, how strange. Uh, I wonder what time it actually is. Uh, it was late at night. So he didn't know. He went over and pulled out his pocket watch from his trousers, lit a candle. This is back in the 1890s. So it's quite a while ago now. Looked at his pocket watch and lo and behold, it was 4.30 indeed. Uh, He thought, oh, I must have noticed that my watch had stopped earlier in the day and I didn't wind it. um, And that, you know, that nagged me. And that's why I had this strange dream. So he wound the watch, put it back in his trouser pocket, went back to sleep, woke up later on thinking, well, when I wake up, I'll have to find out whatever time it is and I can fix the watch. But when he woke up, when he got the watch and went to see what the time was, he discovered it was actually the right time. So in the dream, uh, he had woken up at 4.30. The clock had stopped at 4.30 and -hmm. somehow the dream had told him this. And this started a whole series of different experiences were done that he discovered that he was bits and pieces of the future um, returning up in his dreams. And he said that if you wanted to prove this to yourself, um, all you had to do was write your dreams down. So I decided to do that. So I started doing that in 1980. And lo and behold, he was right. That's what happened. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I had uh, the first, I mean, nothing fantastic. I mean, this is one of the points I make in the book is that the ones we hear about, the yes. precognitive future dreams we hear about, but they're, they're what I call the two Ds. Mm-hmm. There's the disasters and then the derby, you know, the Darby, you know, so there's the disasters. Um, probably the most well-known account yes. here in the UK is the Aberfan uh, disaster, which happened in the 1960s in Wales uh, when a coal slip you know, fell down a, a, a hillside and, and engulfed a school and, and uh, you know, uh, probably the whole almost this whole village. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was you know, a horrible disaster. Many people died. And um, someone dealing, you know, with the aftermath of this and, and, and uh, the people who, uh, you know, were, you know, survivors of it and, and so on and so on. Um, he, he, he began to ask if anyone had had any sort of dreams uh, uh, before this and even got one of the newspapers to sort of put a questionnaire in the evening standard. Right. At the time. And it turned out that quite a few people um, had had dreams of the disaster the night before, the day before it happened. Uh, In fact, one 
victim, sadly, it was uh, a, a young girl who was in the school. Um, she had dreamt that um, this black stuff had fallen, you know, down from the hill and it, it covered all the whole school. And she told her mother that, you know, the that morning mm-hmm. you know, uh, going on to school. And that's exactly what happened. So, and then the, um, another example is 9-11. I mean, there's quite a few um, yes. uh, different things in which um, uh, it, it became sort of clear that it was sort of evidence, a pre-echo of it happening. There were uh, sort of album covers, there were magazine covers, and there's an artist named David Mendel who um, started painting a series of paintings of right. planes crashing into the Twin Towers five years before on, yes. on that date. I remember and, and that. Subsequently yes. up, up, up until, you know, it happening. So, and the other ones we hear about um, are when somebody picks the winners at the <clears throat> races. So this is the Derby. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a famous case here in, in um, the UK, a fellow named James John Godley, who um, he, he wasn't a punter, as they say himself. He wasn't somebody who, you know, went to the races a lot, but he had these dreams in which different names of horses were jumping out at him, basically. And he looked at the, you know, the racing papers and saw these names of the near equivalents. He didn't bet on them, but told his friends and his friends did, and they, they all won money. And this happened repeatedly. And um, he, uh, in the end, you know, out of that, he uh, got a job as a sort of uh, columnist in, in a racing paper and all this sort of thing. So, so these are the ones we usually hear about, mm-hmm. or, you know, about premonitions or, you know, people wake up and they think, oh my God, I had this dream and I have to tell whoever it is, my friend or my cousin or somebody, mm-hmm. you know, don't go on that flight, don't do this. Mm-hmm. But the sorts of experiences I've had and the ones that done had mostly and others who have noticed this happening is they tend not to be these big sort of dramatic things. They tend not to be either the disasters or the Derby. They're usually, I say trivial, inconsequential. And <laughs> in a few mm-hmm. interviews, I've said that and the person said, oh, no, 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 there's no, there's no inconsequential, no trivial dreams. But I, I don't mean it in any kind of um, derogatory way, but I mean, it the dreams that I'm talking about, the ones that I've had in the book and I've recorded for the last 40 years, they're not these big, dramatic, they're not mm-hmm. the big archetypal sorts of dreams. They tend to be rather banal sorts of things. And if they weren't precognitive, we wouldn't pay that much attention to them. Or the only person who would would be your therapist, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so but um, so to, to, to give the very first example, as I said, I was I read this book in 1980 and I was living in New York and I was a musician at the time. Mm-hmm. And I dreamt that I was playing a red guitar. Okay. Yes. I didn't have a red guitar. I didn't know anyone who had a red guitar. Um, but one day, the day after the dream, uh, I'd written it down dutifully in my, my, my dream notebook. Yes. And um, I was out walking and met a friend and we met somebody else and we were walking around and just by chance ended up at someone's place that I didn't know. Um, and sitting there and he said, here, check this out. And he handed me a red guitar. And as I was sitting there and I started to strum it, I realized, oh, <laughs> this is what I was doing in the dream. Right. And um, a, something a bit more exciting was I, uh, uh, the next one. I, I dreamt about being in a, in a rather intimate setting um, with the women that I, I, I knew vaguely, but not, 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 not uh, as well as I'd like to. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, well, that's Freudian sort of wish fulfillment. Uh, but then through a series of chance encounters, 
that evening, I wound up in the situation that I dreamt about with the woman. So it was like, oh my God, <laughs> sort mm -hmm. of thing actually happens. Right. And so um, the book, I, I, I give you know a few accounts of these very early ones, but um, why I came to write the book, yes, um, that happened because um, a few years back now, before COVID, so about 2019, uh, so it would have been around the spring or maybe the fall of 2019, so just before COVID. Mm -hmm. Here in London, I gave a talk um, for, uh, there's a, a group here who organizes uh, different talks in site-specific, you know, locations, so interesting locations. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was something called, it was called the Borderlands of Sleep, and this was the series of talks. And I gave one, and it was on hypnagogia, which mm -hmm. is this in-between state. Yeah. You know, we each, it's an altered state that we, all of us experience at least twice a day. Um, yes. It's when we're falling asleep and it's when we're waking up. Mm -hmm. And for a brief period, we are in an in-between, a liminal state. We're not completely awake, not completely asleep. We're hovering in between. Mm -hmm. And with practice, you can learn to hover and stay in that state and be aware of it and watch dreams start to you know, take place. And you, you can hear voices and there's lots of strange things happen in it. Mm -hmm. So I gave a talk about that. And then sort of to pad the talk out a bit, I added on uh, some accounts of precognitive dreams because in the hypnagogic state, um, it, it's, the hypnagogic state itself seems to be partial to sorts of paranormal experiences. Yes. Um, and precognition is one of the ones that tends to be uh, most, uh, ha happen most often. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, in Dunn's book, Experiment with Time, he, um, he recounts a few things in which he's lying in bed and he's sort of testing whether he can have some image of the future. And he's sort of half asleep, half awake, and he has a variety of different images coming to him. And then he, that's what happens you mm -hmm. know, as he gets up you know, later on and so on and so on. And that's happened to me uh, as well. Um, and so um, I talked about Dunn's dreams and I added a couple of my own. And I said, um, the reason I came to understand that this happens, and I'm, I'm not claiming any particular mystic credit or anything. I'm, I'm not saying I'm you know, psychic in any particular way. This is something that I think is just generic to human consciousness. We just don't, we're not aware of it because we don't pay attention. We don't it. pay attention. Yes, we don't pay attention right. to the dreams and we don't pay attention to what happens in our life most of the times anyway. No, we're unconscious, right? Yeah, exactly. But that's, mm. that's true in, bo in both in both in realms. Both, in both realms. In both yes. we're unconscious when we're unconscious <laughs> and we're unconscious when we're conscious. And that exactly. one, we, we know there's a variety of different spiritual teachers have been trying to point that out to us for a long time. And it's very, mm. it's very difficult to point things out to people who are unconscious. <laughs> well, it's hard <laughs> to it's hard to asleep, grasp. They can't notice yeah. you. Okay. Yeah it's hard to it's hard to grasp when you're unconscious because yeah, exactly. what are they talking about right yeah no 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 it's totally so uh and then but what happened was that um the next day um i went on to twitter as one does and yes. uh, one of the first things i saw was a tweet from someone who had been at the talk mm -hmm. um or at least this person said uh, she had been at the talk uh you know these days you don't know for sure uh but it was omg and then exclamation point, exclamation point, it's mm -hmm. true. And she managed to say in the tweet, I went to this talk and uh, about, you know, dreaming the future. And the guy said that all you had to do was write down your dreams and you'll see that it's true. And it is. And what had happened was that she said that um, 
she had dreamt that she picked a hedgehog up off the street and put it on the, the pavement on the sidewalk. And hedgehogs are these strange animals that are quite common here in the UK. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they exist in the, the States at all, or if they, if they do what they were, what they would be called. Uh, but any case, there, any, there, there's signs for them, like, you know, be careful yes. <laughs> for the hedgehogs. Any case, so she did that. And well, she dreamt that and uh, dreamed it. And when she went on to Twitter, the first thing she saw was a tweet about how to protect the hedgehogs. Mm. So it wasn't exactly, she didn't walk out her door and actually pick up the animal and take it off right. the street onto the pavement. But the very right. first thing she saw mm-hmm. um, in the media that you know she got her information uh, yeah. from, was 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 that and i said well this is exactly what dunn says because dunn's experience it's not that you're hovering over this horizon that's the future no yeah. and you can look you know from side to side and see all of it like criswell predicts or, or nostradamus or something like that mm-hmm. it's your own future it's what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. what you're going to see on you know social media what you're going to see on television what you're going to read in a book what you're going to you know uh if you still read newspapers so and so that sort of thing and it's not only that i mean who who you bump into in the street or and so on and so on but it's your own personal future so you can think of it as if our individual lives are a film and what happens in these dreams is that some bits of the film jump ahead of, of, of well, the queue, as they say here, they jump, they jump the line. Right. They, you know, there, there are a few, there are a few, you know, they're, they're 20 minutes ahead of the film and then they jump ahead and they're, they're five, five minutes, you know, you know what I mean? Something like that. So this is um, one of the characteristics and this seems to be the case. I mean, again, there are people who have premonitions. They wake up and they, my God, I had this dream and I know it's about something. And that's, a, that's part of this. Right. But this isn't the particular kind of thing that 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 I've, I've I've yet to wake up thinking, oh my god, I dreamt of something in the future. It's always, oh my god, I dreamt that last night. Yeah. Whoa, you know, and 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 it could be the simplest sort of thing. I mean, and I give different examples in the book. I mean, there's yes, you do. I mean, the there's some very dramatic ones. I mean, the the, the for me, the one that sort of nails it is um, in 1990. So when I, after I gave this talk and this woman or this person, you know, did this tweet and that said, okay, maybe I should, you know, see mm-hmm. if my publisher's interested in this book. So I yes. got in touch with my publisher. I said, look, I'll be, I, I, I've had all these dreams. I've, you know, I've, I've got them going back for 40 years now. I'd like to write about this, you know, are you interested? And they said, yeah, go for it. So, okay. So they commissioned me to write the book. And so I pulled all my dream journals out and, um, in 1990, I was living in Los Angeles before I moved to uh, London. I had a dream in which I saw scenes from a film about the 1930s pulp character, The Shadow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 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 a fan of this old pulp sort of stuff and weird weird literature in general. And The Shadow is this you know, kind of early superhero who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, the shadow knows. Mm-hmm, and the shadow. and he's, been, he's been to Tibet and he's learned um, just different mystic arts and he can cloud men's minds and he can appear mm-hmm. as a shadow and then 
2D to 3D and all this kind of thing. So, um, and we also know there's the Jungian, the whole Jungian, you know, thing about the shadow as well. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that element comes in um, uh, uh, also. So 1990, I have a dream and about a film. There is, there's yet to be a film about this. There's old serials made in the 1930s, you know, okay. come back next week for the next exciting episode. And yes. that's sort of thing made in the 1930s, but not, not a like full on Hollywood sort of film. Um, and one scene is uh, the shadow character is two dimensional. He's, he's against the wall, like a real shadow would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, walk like an Egyptian kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, um, and then he steps out of the wall and becomes three dimensional. Mm-hmm. And he has the is like a cloak, and he has the hat and the mask over his face. And strangely enough, the mask is very much like the whole COVID thing we've we've right. uh, been living with um, for a few years now. And then there's another scene in my dream. Um, the, the shadow has these forty five pistols, these automatics. It's kind of his trademark weapon. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where he has it's just the the gun, um, and there's a kind of crystal effect or hall of mirrors effect around it so there's the gun in the center and then there's all different reflections of the hand and the gun mm-hmm. okay so those are those are two scenes and then i also in the dream i knew that the plot of the film had something to do with the sphere some sort of sphere was the central sort of thing about the film okay so mm-hmm. that's 1990 so i have this dream fine i write it down Four years later, um, my, well, my wife at the time, uh, uh, I, I refer to her as my future ex-wife. Uh, she, uh, we are going to see this film, the 1994 film with Alec Baldwin. Yes. Of the Shadow. And if you haven't seen it, it's actually, it's actually quite good, uh, you know, for the time. And it predates a lot of the superhero films that are, you know, very, very right. popular now. So, and I say to her, I say, look, you know, <laughs> I had, remember, I had this dream. I, I, I told you we were going to see this film and I remembered, I dreamt this. I saw, I pulled out my diary from 1990 and said, look, you know, I, I had this dream and let's see what happens. So we see the film and the two scenes that I had dreamt exactly are in the film, you mm-hmm. know, the scene with the shadow character coming out of the wall from 2D to 3D. And then the scene with the gun, the 45, and it's being reflected in this hall of mirrors. And the plot of the film centered around the evil, you know, mastermind wanting to blow up New York, uh, somehow using a beryllium sphere. And the, the beryllium sphere was some sort of nuclear sort of device at that mm-hmm. time. So, so somehow, four years in advance, I dreamt two scenes from the film and the plot. So what what do you make of that? Like, do, what, <laughs> <No idea. laughs> like, do you think to yourself, um, I could have written a movie around that, or do you do you, do you question it, or do you just say, well, that I, was- I, I, no, I question the sense of how could that possibly happen? What does that mean? What, what does, does that it tell mean? me about the world? Yeah. We well, it's all like well, you know, our usual idea about time. That that's that's that for starters, our usual idea time. about time doesn't okay. quite work. Yeah, uh, it works for most things, um, and we, you know, I, I I don't want to upset it in any way, but there are these bits where it doesn't quite work and how do I account right. for that? And there's all questions, you know, there's the sort of existential questions like, you know, free will, 
that whole thing. I mean, in the book, I talk about this. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in the book, I, the dreams are sort of, well, the, the precognitive dreams bring together two mysteries. There's the mystery of time, which we're talking right. about now, yes, and then the mystery of dreams themselves. Yeah. I mean, dreams by themselves are very, very strange. Mm-hmm. And time by itself is very, very strange. I mean, either one of those things you could, you know, and like I say, you could write a book about, and many have. There's, you mm-hmm. know, much, much written about both of those things. And the one of those things that are very, I mean, time is one of those things that, um, well, the Saint Augustine said a long time ago, uh, when he was asked the question, "What is time?" He said, "If you don't ask me the question, I know the answer." Meaning that it's something that we have an intuitive sense. Of course, I know what it is. It's something that you know we've 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 already got through a half hour of you know mm-hmm. uh, you know in that sense. But then, if you ask me to define it in any very explicit kind of articulate way, mm-hmm. I, I I I would be at a loss, you know, because you would start to get into metaphor and all that. And because you know, time is made up of the the past, the present, and the future, but none of those things is accessible at any time. <laughs> To None us, of it. Right? The past is gone, right? The future right. hasn't happened, and the present just slips. It, oh, it went, oh, there, oh, oh, I mean, there you go. So it's, it's like, gone. I mean, you know, it's like, so that by which we understand time is inaccessible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's no other way for us to understand it because. It's I, so can come, I, can, I can come to the conclusion that, my God, yes, the mystics and the philosophers are right. It's true. It doesn't exist. But I do know that, you know, uh, an hour from now, I'll be doing something else. So it's, it, it, uh, it, it slips through our fingers, but it's ever present. So it's mm-hmm. one of these imponderables. And we also think of it as something that moves, something that flows, something that floats. So, but if time is a river, where are its banks? Mm-hmm. I understand a river. If I want to use the metaphor of a river, a river is, is a, a body of water that flows through the you know, land mm-hmm. and there's banks on either side. Um, but there are no banks to the river of time. You know, um, or, or if you want to use the other uh, sort of metaphor, Andrew Marvel, the poet, the chariot, time's winged chariot. It's the future rushing towards us. I mean, the river, it's like flowing away. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the melancholy. Ooh, the pa- Ooh, it's all flowing past as the past is the other side of us. And the kind of anxious sense of the time is the, the winged chariot. It's like rushing towards me. Mm-hmm. But a, a, a chariot, you know, we understand a chariot is this vehicle that goes along a, a road. But a road has pavements. Flank mm-hmm. is flanks. Just like the river of time, where are the flanks? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the you know the 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 pavement that the chariot of time moves on, so it's a metaphor we have, but when you actually try to grab it, it doesn't. It kind of dissolves. Mm-hmm. And so it's what a sense. So what I'm saying is like process. Things take place. There's mm-hmm. a process, but we we tend to think there's this stuff called time in which they take place. But I I, I don't know. I wonder if there's even this stuff called time. I mean, it's a way we have. To, to understand the process that takes around us, takes place around us. Well, and I mean, we have time here, but there is really no time. It's space-time continuum, right? Hmm. Um, but uh, well, I mean, there's natural contemplate time. Contemplate this for me. Why <laughs> is it? <laughs> why do you feel that uh, time just seems to rush, 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 rush? except for if you go and do something where you're waiting, 
it just slows right down. Like, and it's mm -hmm. almost like, depending on what you're doing depends on how fast time goes in your life. Yeah, no, it's true. I think it's a factor of consciousness. Um, you know, it's the old joke is, you know, if you're, if you have a toothache in the dentist's office, five minutes is an eternity. Mm -hmm. um, and well, it, it'll sound sexist. I, I, it's something like, if you know, a, a pretty girl is sitting on your lap, you know, <laughs> you know, if we, we uh, it goes by in five minutes, you know, we know what I mean, sort of thing. So it's like, right. it, it's a pleasant or horrible experience. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, yeah, it's a factor of your consciousness. And this is something that we know from our experience. They mm -hmm. say if you're bored, I mean, boredom, I would say boredom by definition is the sense of time solidifying where you're aware of, you know, every, you know, bit, oh my God, I just looked at the clock and it's only five minutes. And, you know, whereas, as you say, if you're interested in something, if you're absorbed in something, if your consciousness is, you know, participating in, in mm -hmm. something, um, then hours can come by and you're not even aware of it. So it's, it has much to do with that. And I have, you know, this, again, I, the precognitive dreams that I, I have, they're, they're the most striking for me example or experience in, in my, my own life and in, and in other people. I talk about people like Don and J.B. Priestley and Uspensky mm -hmm. and, 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 and some other people who have, and Colin Wilson, who have looked into these mysteries. And, um, but it's part of a gradient, you know, and just in um, sort of wake, waking experience i mean I, I i talk about um well there's a wonderful book called the uh, the, the dance of time by a fellow named edward hall and it's about mm -hmm. his experience with native native american indians and he talks about how um in different contexts um he spent a great deal of time uh with with native american indians and this affected his whole sense of time and he in tells what one, way? well he tells a story where he went with the party of others to to transport some horses from you know one reservation to another or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I guess you know if you had them in the back of a you know a, a, a pickup and you were driving, it would maybe take you know whatever amount of hours. But um, the rate they had to go, uh, they had to go you know relatively slow, slowly, mm -hmm. and it wasn't on the highway; it was across the plain. Right kind of thing. And this was something that he wasn't used to. Um, and it took time itself for him to adjust to this different sort of um, sensibility of time and space also. Mm -hmm. So you're not zooming past something on the highway where like the mountain that you zoom past on the highway, the way they were going, it took him several hours you know, to go along, to go along it. And so right. he, could, he could see it from all these different angles and that kind of, uh, that sort of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And he said, it took him about three days to adjust. Uh, and then after about three days on the horse, because he's on a horse himself, you know, leading these other horses with right. people across, you know, the plains somewhere. That's, he started to feel very, very different sense of himself, his own location and the space they were in and mm -hmm. his own sense of time. And while I didn't do anything like that, you know, ride a horse across the prairie or something, mm -hmm. I, I tell a couple stories where um, when I was living in Los Angeles and I wanted to get away for a while and I went up to the sequoias yes. in Northern California, you know, these gigantic trees, they're just they're, they're huge. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I visited them again 
again, it, uh, just before COVID hit at the end of 2019, I was in California. Well, uh, after the, well, that's, that's a different thing, but it, it, Omega mm-hmm. was on that side and then I was over on the other. So I guess I did something at the Esalen. Uh, okay. Uh, and then spent a couple of days just driving up um, Northern California. And I went to, you know, the Sequoias there and it's like, I forgot how big these things are. Yes. How ancient they are. But back in the day, back in the nineties, when I was living in California, I went up and rented a cabin for a week. But the, for the first three days, I couldn't adjust. I mean, even though I knew, I said, okay, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. You're here amidst nature and wonderful, and you're away from the city and you know all the stuff that you want to get away from, it's not here. And then some part of me was annoyed by that. All the things that I, I was used to having around me weren't there. Right. And it felt completely disoriented. It couldn't go and whatever, pick up this or do that, whatever it usually does. And I just found myself thinking, Jesus, oh, is this a big mistake? Should I go home? <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing here? Oh no, yeah, no, what's, no. Yeah, what's like, wrong with me? Why am I not like, enjoying like, it? Why, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then and then just like, okay, just sit this out and whatever. And I'm writing you know, feverishly in my journal. It's like, you know, and then about three days, it was like, oh, okay. It whatever mm-hmm. that part of me just adjusted. Mm-hmm. And you have to slow uh, then right like for the, the rest of the week, it was fine. And I was like walking through these avenues of giants and all that. And then similarly, mm-hmm. I tell a story about um more recently. I was living in London um, and I had to have operation on one of my knees mm-hmm. um, and I was on crutches for a while and um, t- taking a walk, you know, to a local right, a park, which normally would have maybe taken me five minutes or 10 minutes, took me, I don't know, half hour or whatever, yeah. 40, 40 <laughs> minutes. Um, but the thing was I had to deliberate, I had to, I was, each step was deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're looking down all the time because I don't know if you if you mm-hmm. ever had to walk on crutches because it, yeah. it, it take, takes a bit of time to get used to them. Mm-hmm. And but what I notice is that the focus and 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 the uh, the having to slow down, you know, um, I was just noticing all these things like all these flecks of mica mm-hmm. in the pavement, you know, and the sunlight around them, and they're like. It's the sort of thing that, you know, had yeah. you taken some psychedelic, you would probably be, oh, wow, <laughs> that. A different experience. And, and, there's, a cr- and there's the crack, even the cracks in the pavement, they seem to be deeply meaningful to me, suggestive of something. Yeah. And I, I wasn't on any, I'm, I'm not suggesting get knee surgery to, to have no. experience, <laughs> but this is what happened. And, and, I, and I remember stopping at one point, had to take a rest and, you know, just leaning on a tree and there's a leaf and classic moment with the sunlight piercing Mm-hmm. and it's like yep okay yes i'm seeing the sleeve for the first time and how is that coming about because i i forced or circumstances forced me mm-hmm. to slow down and that had an effect on my experience of time and this is something that you know um this is true about we, we all have this capacity to do this we just you know sadly our lives are we so don't. busy and it's so busy. full and so demanding mm-hmm. and, and un- unrelentingly, you know, um, occupied and filled up with things that we never, we never understand this. And it's, this is one reason why, you know, Jung and others said, you know, sometimes you have an illness, it's, it's in order for that to happen. It hits Just, you because, you know, you, you, you won't stop yourself and this will stop you so that it you, was, you mm-hmm. can have this experience. 
Right. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show right now, whose podcast has been treated with digital audio health by my sponsor, Cymatrex. And I am speaking with Gary Lockman today. And where may people buy your book and reach out to you, Gary? Well, they can buy it at all reputable bookshops and I guess online, um, you know, all the usual places. Um, and mm-hmm. I have a, a, a blog. It's just uh, my name, all lowercase, garylockman.co.uk. I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter. So, I mean, these days it's it's kind of hard not to find somebody. It is, so yes. If you really want to find me, I'm, I'm there. I want you to talk a little bit about coincidences and what does it mean What's the difference between coincidences and synchronicities, for instance? Like this seems to be a, a bit of a question. Um, can you talk, speak to that? Yeah, well, I mean, a, a synchronicity is a term that Jung uh, coined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of a pseudoscientific term to basically refers to what we would call meaningful coincidence. Right. So there's coincidences where it's like, uh, uh, okay, there's, uh, I'll give you a couple examples I, I put in the book. Um, uh, a couple of years back, myself and, you know, friends were out to dinner and we got the bill and it came to 123 pounds and 45 pence. Mm-hmm. So it was one, two, three, four, five. Right. right. So what a coincidence. How funny. You just noticed that's the you just first, noticed nat- it. Yeah. first natural numbers, you know, sorry that. And then um, uh, I'm, Another one I noticed, I'm working on a book and um, at the end of the day, I stop and I do a word count and it's 6,666. Cool. So that requires a little bit of um, kind of magical or occult knowledge or, you know, you know, the 666 Mm -hmm. is the number of the beast in the apocalypse or something. So yeah, funny, no big deal. You tweet about it. Uh Oh, what does that mean? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. But then, you know, if you, if say you're, um, Say you're uh, whatever you're reading, uh, 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 you're reading something, right? Mm-hmm. And you see a name um, in the book that you're reading, and then somehow, uh, just by chance, a, a, whatever a bus goes by or something goes by, and the same the same name is very prominent there at the same time that you're reading it um, uh, in the book. So, oh, that's interesting. But then that name actually is uh, the name of a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And you've been meaning to um, be in, oh. get in touch with that person. Oh, okay. and to, Oh God! I, last time we talked, I left. It was really yeah. bad. I should have done something like that. So suddenly, so sort of. Okay, it's interesting enough in the first place that oh, I just read the name, and there's the name over there. And funnily enough, I don't know. This may qualify me, you know, uh, uh, to to, <laughs> need to see a, a, a professional. But I mean, I often, I often. Uh, read something and I hear the name on the radio or I mean and, and, and again this is not as unusual as you might think um people, right. uh, 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 when I'm doing the reading for my book I uh, came across quite a few accounts where people said the same thing where they said oh my god this happens so often I'm thinking something boom they mm-hmm. say it on the radio or it was on the TV or something mm-hmm. like that. So, well, it's having a heightened sense of awareness as well. Mm-hmm. And once you start noticing these things and uh, being grateful that you're noticing them and uh, welcome them and talk about them and write about them, the more they seem to show up. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, yeah, you know, you could, okay, does it mean that 
the same amount of them is there all the time. You're just more aware of it or right. is your engagement with it somehow generating it? I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I tend to take a more active um, view of it in the sense that somehow um, the fact that I'm more aware of these things and just more active in my consciousness in some, in some ways, more active in my intention and all that mm -hmm. um, is, is a good thing. I mean, and the next step would be, I mean, the, I, it's getting onto like the synchronicity, like it's mm -hmm. a very meaningful coincidence. I mean, one of the ones I talk about in the book is um, again, just before COVID, I was on my way to give a talk here in London to the Theosophical Society Mm -hmm. uh, about the writer Colin Wilson, who's an English writer who's been very influential in my my, my work. Mm -hmm. And um, um, he, he, um, he was probably, you know, most most well known in sort of the paranormal worlds in the 70s and the 80s. And but his first big book, uh, 1950s, was a book called The Outsider. And it was right. a study of existentialism and sort of alienated geniuses and, and, and things of that sort. Yeah. So I was on my way to give a talk about that. And um, just on, on my way there, I thought, oh, there's something I need at the market. And I just popped into the local market here and I got what I needed and I got into the line to pay for it. And while I was, you know, in the checkout, um, they have the magazine rack there and I just glanced over and the magazines were so arranged that all I could see of the cover of Vogue was just the title that it was Vogue and then the title of the lead article. And the title of the lead article was The Outsider. Okay. Mm. So I'm on my way to give a talk about The Outsider. <laughs> and all I can I see on it. this cover of Vogue is The Outsider. <laughs> and I'm in it. a rush and I'm thinking, what? The? And all, it's all, what? It's, oh, now, okay, yeah, yeah. Now, so I go and I pay for the stuff and I'm going, and I, I take a photo of it and I right. put oh, it good. on. Twitter, and then I, I uh -huh. bring it bring it up at the talk because it's the sort of thing Wilson himself later on would have thought was, you know, interesting. You know, he would have got a kick out of it. Mm -hmm. But later that day, after the talk, I'm coming back home, and I realize, oh, there's something else I need. I forgot. I should have. Oh, I'll, I'll just pop in again. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go look at that copy of Vogue to see what that article was about because it could have been about you know Colin Wilson, but it wasn't there. They had changed. The magazines. Oh, so I would not have seen it had I not popped in then and there. Uh -huh. So all I can say is, who, what, knew <laughs> I was on my way to talk about the outsider. Decided, uh -huh. oh, go in there, and we'll give you a little <laughs> tap on the shoulder to tell you that we're we got an eye on you. We're, we know what you're doing. <laughs> like, oh, I hope it's a good sign. But I, you know, I mean, you know, what can I say? So that's the uh -huh. sort of thing, you know, that's, a, so that's, that I would say that constitutes a synchronicity to me because it's meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's mm -hmm. like this, it's like, it's, it's not just, oh, isn't that funny? The same, I, I, again, the other thing, there's coincidences that pile up and they're just. Yes, that's um, right. Remarkable in their own way. And, mm -hmm. and, and they, they create a whole bizarre kind of thing. Like what the heck is, you know, who could be mm -hmm. responsible for that? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I find with synchronicities, uh, there's a series of things that have had to have happened in order for a series of another things to happen. And that's when you start putting things together. But coincidences seem to be just those random sort of chance of luck or whatever. Uh, I found anyway, um, yep. it's what there's, I write about. Yeah. Well, there's mm -hmm. different, I mean, there's, um, 
there's an interesting character that I, I, I um, write about in the book, a fellow named Paul Kammerer, who was mm -hmm. an Austrian biologist in the, well, 100 years ago now, the 1920s. And uh, Arthur Kessler, who nobody reads anymore, right. uh, who was another writer from the 20th century, uh, who, who uh, was a political writer and wrote about science, but then he got he, very interested in parapsychology and that sort of thing. So he did a book about this, this fellow. Mm -hmm. But one of the things Kammerer did was that he had this idea of what he called seriality in the sense that the same sorts of things would happen in sequence or they would cluster uh, mm -hmm. simultaneously. And yeah. um, he wasn't aware of synchrony. He wasn't aware of Jung and synchronicity. And he, he didn't think of it in any kind of yeah. say, psych psychic kind of way. He thought it was some sort of strange law of nature, like gravity, you mm -hmm. know, like attracts like. And, but he collected, um, all these examples of coincidences, and then he, he, he categorized them. So there's like different levels of coincidences, diff, different sort of okay. um, levels where, you know, number of things coinciding and, and ramifications and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the interesting things that um, Kessler talks about was um, the strange helpful agency that he called the library angel. And this was, this is something that writers like myself and others out there, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you too, you, we have all experienced this when you're looking for some particular bit of information, mm -hmm. you know, you've seen it somewhere, you know, it's somewhere, you can't remember where it is, you, da, 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 everything around you just, my God, you just reach over, grab a book, and then bang, it opens up yeah. to that page. And um, Kessler tells the story of uh, the writer, Rebecca West, who was researching material from the Nuremberg trials at the London library here. Mm -hmm. And she discovered that the way the trials were organized, it just was impossible to find anything. There was just, it was like a completely kind of just arbitrary system of, mm -hmm. of sort of, they, they weren't organized in terms of content. Confusion. So it's just like you can never possibly know by how they were organized what right. anyone. Oh, excuse me. And, and so she spent, you know, uh, hours, you know, trying to find what she was looking for in the library. And in frustration, she just grabbed the librarian walking by and she said, you know, how do you, how could I possibly find anything here? I've been looking for this for hours. I can't find anything. It could be in any one. It could be in that one. <laughs> grabbed the thing, pulled it down, <laughs> opened it up. And there it was. You're kidding. So, yeah, so this is something that, I mean, and Kessler himself tells the story where he, mm -hmm. um, in the early 70s, he was um, commissioned to go see the um, Bobby Fischer, Boris Baski um, chess match in mm -hmm. Reykjavik, his famous chess match back then. And Kessler was a chess fanatic, um, but he hadn't kept up, you know, with the latest games and all that sort of thing. And he hadn't been to Iceland before. So he thought he'd better go um, and do a bit of homework. And he too went to the London library mm -hmm. and he thought, okay, chess, Iceland, which one should I start with? I'll start with chess. And he went to the chess section. And the very first book he saw was chess in Iceland. Mm. It, was, <laughs> it was like a history <laughs> of chess in Iceland. <laughs> no, so it's, it's these kind of weird things. So th it's mm -hmm. like some... It's it's half trickster, half mm -hmm. helpful. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, okay, here, you're looking for that? <laughs> so. Is it kind of like, uh, it's almost like you feel like you're guided when these things happen. 
yeah, because I mean, it feels magical. Like how well, does how exactly. do things I mean, like I'm, that happen? It, it, exactly. That's how, mm -hmm. I mean. I come away from this. I mean, one of the things mm -hmm. I say in the book is that um, I mean, I'm 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 not you know a physicist and. Uh, I don't understand half of the stuff about, you know, elementary particles. I'm just like most people, I've, I've read quite a bit about pop, you know, um, elementary particles and things of that sort. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all, all the crazy physics stuff. So, I mean, and that generally comes up in these conversations. Yeah. So somehow um, quantum physics can explain this, but I, I'm sorry. I have to say like, well, I, I just, maybe it does, but maybe I'm too dense and I don't get it, but I just don't understand how, you know, okay, there's positrons who, that can mm -hmm. move backwards in time. It's like, fine, but do I, do I have them? You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, 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 I don't know how that helps me. Whereas for me, right. it's, an, it's, it's this existential sort of moment where it's sort of like, whoa, like, what mm -hmm. is that? What does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean about the world that that actually just happened now? What does and it mean about me that it happened just now? I know. What is trying to tell me something? And mm -hmm. so that's, it's, I, 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 I'm, I'm saying this in, in a sort of, you know, exaggerated way. Not, not, I, I don't in any way want to diminish, you know, the work of, you know, people working in, in, in quantum physics and all that. But I think mm -hmm. there's a whole kind of um, what I would call the immediate existential phenomenological level of these experiences that don't, doesn't really get, you know, too much attention. It gets sort of mm -hmm. like, oh, how can we explain it possibly happening in terms of this sort of stuff? And I'm, I'm not particularly interested in explaining how it happens. I'm interested in saying, what does it mean? Which mm -hmm. is a different kind of thing. It I'm not interested in explaining how a sunset happens, but I am interested in what does it mean that I feel the sense of awe and wonder in front of the sunset. When so it's a, it's a different, it's a different uh, kind of approach to it. It's a very different, and yeah. that's it's the latter approach that I really like. So do you feel that you've been called uh, to what you do? I mean, how many books I've been have shouted you written? at? Yes. <laughs> you've been shouted at. How many books have you written? Uh, things about 25 now. 25. That's what I thought. So yeah. you in some way must feel that you're called on your journey? Well, I'm still trying to figure out, well, actually now, you know, having written all these books, and, yes. um, you know, I'm not getting any younger, as everyone says, as you're getting older. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, thinking, well, what exactly? What does it mean? What, how did I get interested in all this sort of thing? Why was mm -hmm. I interested? Why, why, when I read books about this in 1975, when I was a musician, 19 years old, living on the Bowery in New York, mm -hmm. did I not say, well, this is a low, or, you know, whatever. Um, why do they think, whoa, wow, you know, this is incredible. And you're you know, very attracted was, to it. Well, there was, I, I, yeah, that's, that was my, I mean, I'd read a lot before. I mean, I, I just wasn't interested in magic and the occult and paranormal, that sort of thing. I, I was, mm -hmm. I, I was always reading. I, I, I guess the first serious book I read was Siddhartha, you know, the Herman Hesse mm -hmm. novel. That must've been about 1970 when I was about 14. And, you know, so uh, like many other people from my generation that late late well, early 70s sort of late 60s generation that you know Hesse was a big phenomenon so that was kind of mm -hmm. the introduction to a lot of people this sort of thing and then I you know I just got from that I got interested in it but I wasn't really you know I read Nietzsche and Sartre and the existentialists and all that kind of thing and they were like the cool hip people to read you know mm -hmm. um, but I didn't get interested in sort of magic per se or the occult or spiritual spirituality and esotericism until I was living in New York and playing in um, 
Dan Blondie before mm-hmm. we, we were anybody, you know, right, we were nobody. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you wrote like, a song. Well, that was the thing. It was a song at, at the time, but um, before I, I, I started recording all these precognitive dreams was about mm-hmm. these shared dreams I had. Shared with, dreams, uh, My yes. girlfriend, it's called I'm Always Touched by Your Presence, dear. Beautiful. And that came about I love because, that. Oh, I love oh, thank it. Thank you. Thank you. When we, uh, we, we, we were on tour, mm-hmm. I, um, it just turned out that she and I were having the same sorts of dreams or we called each other at the same time. And it was that, 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 that whole kind of experience, which again, tends to happen in relationships. I mean, mm-hmm. personal emotional relationships are the strongest media uh, through which these sorts of experience happen. Yes. So that's why, you know, in the clinical context of some parapsychological mm-hmm. lab, it, it breaks down. I mean, one, that was one of the strange things when you, you know, I was doing the reading for this book is like, you know, physics starts out as this dry as dust kind of boring kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And then, Ooh, and then initially parapsychology, Oh my God, ESP, you know, yes. mind power, this is very, very exciting, but then they, they exchange roles. And then, you know, the scientific study of parapsychology increasingly gets boring and boring and boring with Zener cards and, you know, trying to affect the dice all the time. Mm-hmm. And but then in the physics department, everybody's oh my god, the latest <laughs> particle. Did you see what that thing did? It went backwards in time. Wow, you know, it's like so the complete That's, change kind yeah. of weird sort of thing. And so I mm-hmm. might again not to um diminish the work of people that are you know in parapsychological labs doing mm-hmm. this. Sort of, it is oh, it's more, very interesting. It no, no, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's yeah. important, but I, but, I, but I think the actual kinds of experiences is something much more to do with your everyday life. And, and yes, exactly. you know, it's, it's the kind of things that are tuned into, you know, love or any mm-hmm. just your experience of something. Your experience. Or, mm-hmm. So um, it's less something that you can make happen, you know, in yes. that way than it does happen. It does happen. You you can pay attention to it and be aware that it happens. And question it. Yeah, yeah. And and what does that mean? Why is it happening? Why is it? Yeah, of course. What does it mean? I I don't know. I mean, I've been, I said, I've been recording these dreams for 40 years and it's only now, 42 years, it's only now or only two years ago that I said, okay, maybe I should like write about this. Yeah. And I I come away with it just sort of increasing the sense of mystery and thinking, you know, I really still have to go now and think about this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) even after I wrote the book about it. Mm -hmm. Well, your books are addicting. I mean, it's one of those things that when I start reading or I'm listening, you have a a couple in audio as well. I I can't stop listening. I just want to know, you know, where are you headed with this? Where are you going? It's just your work is so sophisticated. I love it. So what extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? Extraordinary discovery. Oh, practically yeah. everything. That's the thing. Yes. Everything's extraordinary. That's what I've yes. discovered now. <laughs> I mean, one of, one of my favorite stories I tell is um, not about me, but it's about um, the Russian uh, philosopher Peter Uspensky, mm-hmm. uh, who's most known as an exponent of um, the work of Gurdjieff. As an um, uh, important esoteric teacher, but he was an uh, um, important Uspensky was an important philosopher in his own right, but he talks about um, he was ha- he was doing these exper- ex- experiments with nitrous oxide. This is way back in the day, way before the drug culture. This is very very early twentieth century, but uh, and it, it, it came about because he had he had read different accounts of cosmic consciousness and, and oh things yes, like so he, he he wanted to experiment and to see you know what it was like. But in this particular one episode when he was experimenting with this, he 
found himself, you know, sort of sitting on his sofa and smoking a cigarette. And he looked over at the ashtray and suddenly he realized everything possibly to do with the ashtray suddenly became known to him immediately in mm -hmm. the sense of like, um, who discovered fire? Uh, yeah. Who discovered tobacco? Um, who who discovered mining? Um, how did they learn how to smell? It was a copper ashtray. How did they learn how to mm -hmm. smelt the ore? How did they get that? You know, so all this sort of, I should say, information about it that if you wanted to, you could find out, you know, and go to the library and read all this stuff. It would take some mm -hmm. time and you'd have to, but suddenly it all came to him immediately. And the reason I'm telling you is that he, he, he came away thinking, you know, we don't understand the simplest sorts of things around us. They're, they're, everything around us is the kind of um, center of an extraordinary web of meanings radiating right. out all around. And it could be the simple, yeah. I mean, you know, we know this from people like William Blake, you know, he says heaven in a mm -hmm. wild flower and eternity in a grain of sand or whatever. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm probably misquoting him there. But, you know, that's close. something that as I find as I get older, that's sort of, you know, the, more um I, I become more aware of something like that and i become sadly aware of the amount of time i've wasted uh not being aware of that and mm -hmm. <laughs> um hoping i have you know enough time left to me to make you know make, uh, take the best advantage of 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 that insight you have more books in you yeah, you know, I'll keep, yeah. I mean, the thing of the writer is like, once you write and you realize you just keep going, you know, I know you as, can't as long as stop. somebody, as long as somebody publishes, it, I'll, <laughs> I'll keep doing it. You know, that's, that's right. the thing, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I guess the next thing I have in mind is something sort of autobiographical, but I don't, I don't, it's just a vague, mm -hmm. vague idea now. Big idea. Well, uh, it's just been such a joy and a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I love your book, Dreaming Ahead of Time. It's uh, fantastic. And so thank you very much for coming on the show. I could talk to you for another whole hour. I really could. I've had <laughs> oh, to watch. Thank you. Yeah, you're so interesting. Uh, you have lots of stories and um, I just loved it. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure, Rhonda. Thank you. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant show, Sun on the Water, is composed and performed by my friend, John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with The Rhonda Grant Show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to The Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax.